Hello, thank you guys for downloading this episode of The Final Third. We have a great show for you today. We begin talking about the MLS U22 initiative, what it means for MLS as a whole, as a league. It's great. Then we also talk about the three most competitive Big Five European leagues, French Liga, La Liga, and Serie A, who we think is going to win the title. But before we get to any of that, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at Final Third Show. We have, you know, we have so much engagement going on right now that it, you know it's crazy we love talking to all of you guys there we also have an instagram at final third show follow us there as well we are going to post a lot of cool stuff there don't forget to follow us on wherever you listen to us give us a rating on apple podcasts tell a friend we're getting honestly disgusting amounts of growth right now so hop on the bandwagon you know you want to give us a follow give us a rating and yeah enjoy the show Hello and welcome back to another deep dive episode of The Final Third. As always, I'm one of your hosts, uh, Jack Seeprasad. I'm a fan of Chelsea, Atalanta, Minnesota United, and the French national team. And I'm joined here by uh, with AJ. Yeah, I'm AJ. I'm a fan of Minnesota United, the U.S. men's national team, and West Ham United. We got a great show for you today. But before we get to that, Jack, we're recording this on Tuesday. Chelsea just beat Atletico Madrid with a, with a your favorite French player scoring. Tell us how you feel. Oh, not just my favorite French player, my favorite player. Okay, uh, that okay. that's a very important thing to get across here. Uh, Olivier Giroud. I'm wearing his jersey right now. I see. Uh, over overhead kick against Atletico Madrid. Absolutely world class. He comes up with big goals every time. And uh, best striker in the world. Yes. Ballon d'Or worthy? Absolutely. Whoa, okay. Wow, you're really you're really backing the boy right now. It was oh, a good yeah. goal. It was, it was a really good goal. I'll give him that. Uh, unfortunately, my prediction was incorrect for that game, as we will review on next Monday's episode. But on the plus side, for both of us, our FPL teams are doing pretty well. Uh, we had a Leeds Masterclass take us past the bad lull that we were going through in the in the start of the weekend as we talked about in the monday episode but before we get into the rest of today's uh you know big discussion topics i wanted to bring up this kind of funny topic i found while perusing the the fantasy premier league reddit and that is uh you know jack Grealish, right we, we oh both yeah don't of course like him. yep yep <laughs> don't like he him. he was out for their last game for Aston Villa's game in the FPL community everyone wants to win right everyone wants to win their own private league everyone wants to get be the top uh, fantasy premier league manager and so people go into insane lengths to find out who's playing or who's not and so people began to notice that you know, players have teams. They, they, they play fantasy Premier League. Some, some of the staff members, like physios and uh, assistant managers and team assistants, have teams. And they, people began to notice that some of the time, the, the teammates of players would take that player out, and the next game, they wouldn't play. Which means that they had insider information, like it's insider trading, like on the stock oh market. Oh my god! 
where they knew that Jack Grealish was going to be out because, you know, they're around him. They know that he was injured. So they took him out of their team. Well, because FPL managers care so much about winning, they created a bot that tracks <laughs> the tracks oh all of the times that a teammate takes one of their own teammates out of their FPL team and it posts on social media. And so what ended up happening was Aston Villa as an organization banned players from playing fantasy oh Premier League because they didn't want that information getting leaked to the public through that those means. And now a, a bunch of Premier League clubs are like or are warning their players not to do this. We had we had Pep Guardiola, who is infamous in the FPL community for just trotting out whatever lineup he wants with no <laughs> rhyme or reason. He went out and said, yeah, I don't know anything about this, this FPL business. I literally just learned about it today. And now we have the subreddit being talked about on literal UK news. So I don't know. I, I, just, thought, I just thought that was a pr- pretty, pretty silly news, pretty lighthearted news to get us started. What do you think about that, Jack? It's the second time a subreddit has been uh, in this year that has been uh, that has been talked about for insider trading in air quotes and uh, for very different reasons. Uh, But I think that's absolutely hilarious. And, uh, you know, um, I I can't I can't believe that 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 teams went to that length. And uh, I'm sure some players are probably pretty mad about that because i'd imagine some of these players are much better at this than we are so uh oh well i i i'm I'm sure some players aren't going to be happy about that but we'll see Mm -hmm. yeah well you know that that was a that was a nice little mini discussion but you know let's get into the, the the big uh meat and potatoes of the episode first we're gonna quickly talk about the mls u22 initiative uh as our u.s topic talk about what's going on there and then we're going to do a huge recap of the three most competitive big five European leagues, the French Liga, Spanish La Liga, and the Italian Serie A. We're going to start off with the MLS U22 initiative. And with this, I'm going to, I'm going to read out some research that I did because I did a lot of research into all of this. Jack, are you ready to hear just a bunch of numbers being thrown at you? Hit me with it. All right. So a lot of this analysis comes from Sam Stasekel of The Athletic. I've been studying a lot of his articles for these discussions, but he's been doing a great job with that. And a lot of my own research going into just the MLSsoccer.com, going into all the numbers. Here we go. So we know that MLS has a lot of Byzantine rules. We have designated players, target allocation money, international roster spots that you can trade, all of the seemingly millions of drafts that we have. And now we're adding another one. And it actually might unlock MLS's potential. The U22 initiative, that's what we're calling it right now. I don't think it really has a name yet. While it's not yet truly official, it's been deemed the next step in making MLS a selling league. And it's been rumored to be soon announced this year. Uh, It incentivizes MLS clubs to buy young players. Because right now, we have a maximum salary cap of 4900000 and teams can't spend more than that on players' salaries, except they can, through a couple of different means. They can spend allocation money, which is basically an MLS-specific currency that can be traded and spent to quote-unquote buy down salaries of players, 
And when you add up all the total allocation money available to teams, plus the current salary budget, this year, teams can spend up to $9,225,000 on salaries. But that's not all. Each team has three designated player spots, usually reserved for high-quality players or high-potential players. You can spend as much as you want on these designated players, like the sky is the limit, and it'll only count for the quote-unquote max budget charge. So if you really want to, you can spend however millions of dollars on Messi, like $16 million on Messi. And on the budget, he'll only count for $612,500 out of the available $900 million. And you know, that's really good. That's why designated players are so so planned, so thought out. You know, you have to reserve it for high-quality players like Pozuelo for Toronto FC. The U22 initiative takes that almost a step further. It allows teams to acquire up to three players under the age of 23 that will be exempt just like designated players from the salary cap. They can spend however they much, how, however they want on those players, and the player will only count for $150,000 to $200,000 on the salary budget until they're 25. So you can sign them for, for, for 20, when they're 20, sign them for five years, give them like a boatload of money, and still the salary hit on that total $900 million is only gonna be 200,000. But there is a caveat, if you have three designated players currently over the age of 23, and none of them can be bought down using allocation money, then you can only have one U22 player. But teams with at least one designated player under 23 or have a designated player who can be bought down can have all three of their U22 slots. So theoretically, a team can invest in two designated players in their primes, one designated player that's under the age of 23, and three high potential players under the U22 designation, which gives them a lot of room to work with their salary budget. And the great thing is, you know, players that are already with teams can be grandfathered into the system and can be even used for homegrown and super draft signings. That's a lot of numbers, especially when it got to the end. It got, I'll be honest, like pretty confusing. But overall, the only thing you have to take out of it in terms of how it actually works is that for players under the age of 22 or 22 or younger, they will not count for much in that overall salary budget, allowing teams to spend as much as they want on high potential players for at least lower risk than usual. Jack, am I am I missing anything with the information? Uh, I don't think there's anything in particular that you're really missing with that. I think uh I think you said it all pretty well. I, I can't, <laughs> based off of my research, I can't find any other big details. All right. And to be fair, there isn't so much out there that we know other than the actual rules. We don't know, A, when it's actually going to be implemented this season, B, which teams are going to be eligible or not, or C, which players on which teams are going to be grandfathered in. But we do know, or we can at least speculate, what it means for the league. So, Jack, what do you think, how do you think this is going to shape out for the league now that they're introducing this new young player rule? Well, I think it has a lot of potential to be really big and really impactful because, you know, uh, young players are inherently a lot larger of a risk than, say, like, you know, a 27 or 28-year-old designated player. Like Minnesota United, for example, 
brought on a lot more risk signing uh, Tomas Chacon to a mm-hmm. DP deal than they did with Jan Gregush, for, for one example. So I think that this could be a really big way to kind of encourage clubs to take more of those riskier deals, potentially. And also, like, not having to worry as much about, you know, the, the DP rules. But uh, one other thing that could be seen is given that the summer transfer window is far more active than a winter transfer window because you know a lot of this is meant to help clubs drive up profits Mm -hmm. because if you can bring in young players who for relatively cheap who have a lot of potential and you can develop them then you can sell them off for a profit but since that summer window is so much more active how much of a trade-off are club like owners going to take in selling off a really a well-developed player that they signed under this initiative for that purpose uh rather than potentially making a run for silverware or for the playoffs or something like that so it could uh and i'm i'm mostly quoting like an athletic article for this uh basically it, it there's some concerns that it could affect the quality of play in the league right that we we could see less of these youngsters like playing all the time and conversely we could also see a lot of veterans who know the game and the league well playing a lot less to give those youngsters play time so it kind of goes both ways in that and it's it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out for the league because we we don't really know if these details are all exactly going to be how this is or like if there's going to be further restrictions or other things like that but based off of what it what we already know it seems like that might be one of the effects yeah i i really do agree and i think we're gonna see kind of a split on how different teams utilize it we have players like uh santiago sosa and i think franco ibarra which is atlanta united's they're two two of atlanta united's uh newest signees and i believe that they're going to fall under this designation Uh, the U-22 designation. And that kind of goes to show that there's two ways of really looking at this new rule and two ways of going about utilizing it. We have teams who are all about selling players, getting young players like Atlanta and Dallas. And right now they're foaming at the mouth. They're like, oh my gosh, we can have like, it's sure it might be a risk, but we can get like a, a lot of good investment. We can get young, exciting players. That's their M.O., then we also have teams who are win now. They want to have uh, older, experienced players because they value seniority and experience over having young investments. And those are teams like Toronto FC, the Portland Timbers, you know, teams not exactly known for high-quality investment in youth. Well, Toronto FC, maybe there's a little bit. But especially Portland Timbers and Toronto FC with their designated players, it's, it's not at that, at that same same level and like jack said you know we are likely to see a lot more sales and profit through this not exactly the same extent as miguel almarone or alfonso davies like that's a that is a pipe dream for every single mls owner i think if any mls owner can get that much they'd be they'd be giddy with this entire ruling but you know as long as they get you know decent multi-million dollar signings i think that it will it will be a success overall. Uh, but, but, but Jack, do you think that the players that 
we're actually going to see. Do you think that they're going to be high quality? I mean, you mentioned it might lower the 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 quality of the league. You know, do you think that the players coming in are going to be young and exciting as as uh, people who are proponents of this ruling say that they're going to be? Well, I think they could. Uh, it it depends on obviously, like you know, what kind of players are signing. If they're if they're going for like you know low sale price but high potential then, you know, there's going to be a lot more development to be done before they can, like, really light up the league, potentially, um, like, uh, compared to, say, like, you know, someone who's more in their prime, like, 27 to 28 years old. Right. And uh, the other thing is that uh, I've seen has been a bit of a concern is, recently, a lot of Argentine teams, in response to MLS teams, I mean, basically raiding a lot of their clubs yeah. <laughs> uh, have really jacked up the price and added a, a lot of a, a kind of a price premium mm-hmm. on players going to MLS and trades with MLS clubs. And with this sort of thing, by allowing more of these high, uh, like potentially really high or big figure deals to go through, could we see more leagues adopting those sorts of almost, I mean, this is more, political but a protectionist practice almost uh to sure. uh to try and uh protect their their uh domestic talent uh will we see more of that and if we do see that then the quality of play could limit but it might also force more innovation by teams because they might be inspired to look elsewhere and you know instead of just trying to go for the most popular leagues like you know the brazilian league or uh the Argenti- uh the argentine first division uh, maybe going elsewhere to more obscure places that have still that still have potential and a lot of great players. I'm sure. Uh, I don't know much about many other leagues outside of Europe and MLS, but I I can't imagine that it's just all aging players in every one of those leagues. So yeah. there's got to be some some young guns with a lot of potential out there. So it it could be a really good thing for the quality of play, or it could backfire hard onto a lot of these MLS clubs who. Uh, especially those who can't really pay for those premiums from those leagues. Do you think it's going to backfire for the, for like, you know, and, and Atlanta United, who's throwing a bunch of money at all, all of these uh, young players? Do you think there's a chance they could backfire on them too? I think, I think it still could because, you know, as, they, as well-funded as they are, you can't just throw, like, thousands of dollars or millions of dollars realistically yeah. at these big players and uh you know just have that price steadily increase and increase over time and still see a solid return on your investment uh because that's how all of these club owners are going to look at this it's not going to be like oh which one really fits the team like this initiative is made to look at it as a as an investment right and uh you know, it could still backfire on them because it could lead to an unsustainable practice for them where they keep searching for these players to sell off to other clubs. Uh, and it, eventually, like it could be to the point if, you know, the transfer fee doesn't go up that they're selling the player on for uh, doesn't increase at the same rate as, uh, you know, how much these other clubs and leagues are charging for those players. So it could backfire on anyone, really. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna have to agree. I, I think, like you were saying before, you gotta you gotta look elsewhere. And I think that this is going to 
really force MLS teams to invest in their analytics departments, in their scouting departments, look at different leagues outside of the big ones in South America for teams. Uh, leagues like Costa Rica, uh, Colombia, Chile, you know, those kind of leagues could have a lot of talent in there that they're going to have to look at. Uh, I've been reading, I actually just grabbed this book, The Soccernomics. Uh, it's Very a book, book all about, you know, analytics and scouting, uh, um, statistics in soccer. And one of the things that they mention is the book Moneyball. This, this book is really inspired by Moneyball, which is about the Oakland Athletics. It's about baseball, scouting and baseball. And one of the things that they talk about is how investing in players out of high school is thousands of times more risky than investing in players after college. Because once they're older, you have a better sense of what kind of player they are. When they're young, they, have, they might have a higher ceiling, but it's going to be very risky. And so what that tells us is that we're going to see a lot of misses. We've already seen a lot of misses out of young players because young players are hard to judge. Look at, you know, Thomas Chacon with Minnesota United, Ezekiel Barco, literally I think the highest payment an MLS team has shelled out for a player. And both those players kind of fizzled out in some sense of the word. High potential players that have not yet lived up to the hype is what we're going to be seeing. You know, that's okay. They're still young. And this designation is meant for risky investments. Because we can't expect every 17-year-old to pan out. We can't expect every 19-year-old to become the next Alfonso Davies. But as long as clubs can at least churn out a couple of profitable sales out of the initiative every couple of seasons, it's going to be a success. And I think with the way that the league is going in terms of smart investments and their willingness to spend on high potential players and selling them on for a reasonable fee, I think we're going to see that. These players don't need to be game changers on the field. They're meant to be investments. That's you know my personal take on it. I think that this is going to be a success, even if it doesn't seem like that for the first couple of years when these 18-year-olds aren't lighting up the league like they like everyone expects them to. Uh, Jack, do you have anything else to say about this? Well, I just wanted to to hit off of one of one of those notes that you made. Sure. Uh, about investing in scouting uh, departments yeah. because it does bring up some concerns with equality and parity in the league because, uh, again, quoting this uh, fantastic athletic article. Yeah, we, by, we, we should we should just I, uh, buy everyone a, a membership to Athletic at this point. We should get sponsored by The Athletic with how much we're parroting their stuff. That would be sick. Uh, yeah. But uh, this article, fantastic. Uh, it talks about how... NYCFC, which is owned by, you know, the same group that owns Manchester City and and Ooh. then um yeah, and then Red Bull uh New York Red Bulls, same group that owns Ooh. uh Leipzig and, you know, um Salzburg. Salzburg. Um, that slipped my mind for a second. How they have much larger scouting networks. And it does bring up some concerns with does that give those teams even more of an advantage than they already have? Because they have this massive pipeline of players. Like, NYCFC is able to bring in incredible players from Manchester City after, like, like you know, uh, they brought in Frank Lampard, Andrea Pirlo, uh, 
who who else they they've brought in so many other David Villa. David Villa, that's who I was that's who I was missing in that. But they've brought in incredible players from that and the scouting will also help them too because you know, they're going to have access to this larger network. So it could it, it could lead to those teams gaining an advantage, but how well they'll use it, we'll see. And uh, who knows? Maybe maybe uh, maybe it'll just change the calculations for other teams, and it'll just lead to the league catching up to their to that level as a whole. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, th- there still is a lot of parity in the league. There's still a lot of a lot of insane measures that keep leagues uh, that keep the right. league very very equal and. For those teams to really run away with it, it requires their ownerships to actually invest in the league and invest in the team. So, you know, we've seen that Red Bulls and City Football Group, they've kind of they've kind of treated their New York teams as a little bit of a a long lost little brother. But, you know, who knows? Maybe maybe the MLS Cup winners for the next 10 years is going to be traded off between New Jersey and New York. Who knows? Oh, <laughs> Hopefully not. But that is it for the MLSU 28 initiative. Maybe if we see more news or more nuance out of it, we'll talk about it some more. But I think that was a good overview about the, the possible big picture effects that it's going to bring to the league. But now we're going to bring up an even bigger picture, and that is title races. How we got here, where are we going, which teams are in the running, what's making them so good. We're covering three right now because, let's face it, the Premier League is all wrapped up. Unfortunately, we talked about Manchester City uh, earlier this week. We also talked about Bayern Munich last week, and, you know, looks like the Bundesliga. While RB Leipzig might make a, a little bit of a comeback, Bayern Munich is very, very powerful. So we're talking about the French Liga, the Spanish La Liga, and Italian Serie A because usually these leagues are a lot less competitive than they are this year so we're going to be talking all about what's making them so competitive and how are the teams that are in the title race doing this year we're starting off with the potentially least competitive of leagues working our way to the most competitive jack why don't you get us started with the italian syria yeah, well, the Serie A is very interesting this year because after, I think, 11 years of dominance, Juventus look like they might not be retaining the title this season. They are still in the race for the title, of course, but uh, sure. it's looking like it is more likely to go to Milan in one way or another than it is uh, going to Turin. So let's just take a look at this table. We have, in first place... Inter Milan at 53 points. Second is AC Milan on 49. Third is Juventus on 45. Fourth is Roma on 44. And then tied for fifth, well, technically ahead on goal difference, is Atalanta on 43. And Lazio at sixth with 43. And those are kind of the six teams that I consider to have a shot at a title challenge. Atalanta, Roma, and Lazio are further out there than the other top three in that, but I think they still have a chance of it. But just going over some of this, why is this happening? So Inter Milan, this is my theory, at least, as to why they're doing so well. They have actually, the getting knocked out of the Champions League might have been the best gift they could have gotten. 
because while all of these other teams have a lot of ties to worry about, every other team in this uh, that's in this title race has a Champions League or Europa League tie to worry about. Roma is Roma's is pretty much settled. Milan are tying two two. Juventus are behind against Porto. Yeah. Lazio are way behind against Bayern. Atalanta, we have no idea yet. Uh, they still have two legs to play. But and but Inter Milan got knocked out of all European competition, and because of that, they've had to worry about less competitions. And less competitions means less injuries. And because of that, they've been able to make a lot of... They, they haven't had a ton of injury problems because of this, and they've been able to go out and kind of cement themselves towards the top of the league. And they've gone on a pretty impressive run. They're, uh, they're undefeated in their last five. Whereas at le- every other team has lost at least once. So they're putting together an impressive run of results. And I think that they, personally, they're probably the most likely to, to win uh, the Serie A this season just because of that advantage with uh, no European competition. But AJ, why don't you talk about your, uh, at least for this season, adopted um, Italian team, Juventus, and why they aren't doing well. Yeah, so Juventus... You know, I, I like them because Weston McKenney's there. I, yeah, I, I, I do. I, I like Inter Milan, and I do want to talk about them and AC Milan a little bit more. But Juventus, you know, you have to look at them and ask what's going wrong with them. They've been on this insane title streak for the past decade. What's stopping them now? And then a lot of this has to go down to it's a new coach. He tried some different tactics at the beginning of the year went back to a little bit more of the quote-unquote Juventus way, uh, won the Super Cup. So it looks like they're a little bit more on track compared to the where they were at the beginning of the season. But still, you know, we have an inexperienced coach. That's a, that's a lot of it. And for me, it's that midfield. They have a midfield that, in my mind, cannot compete at the highest levels of Syria. I mean, you have Arthur, Ramsey... Bentacore, McKenney, who, even though he's really, really great, and I love Weston McKenney, you can't just rely on Weston McKenney to, you know, win you the league. And there's, there's, I think there's two more midfielders I'm forgetting. But, you know, still, this is not a good enough midfield core to take you to winning the Italian title this year, winning you the Champions League. And when we talk about losing the battle in midfield, how detrimental that is. They have a pretty good front four, front three. They have a pretty good uh, back four and a good goalkeeper. And yet their midfield is failing them. And I also look at maybe an over-reliance on Cristiano Ronaldo. He has 18 goals for the league, 12 more than second place. (laughs) A lot of the goals are coming from Cristiano Ronaldo. And if Ronaldo can't have a really good outing on any given match day, they seem to struggle. It's, it seems to correlate between Ronaldo playing well and the entire team winning that match. So it's a little bit of column A, column B, column C, but put together you have a rebuilding year for Juventus, a year that they'll probably forget and be back to title contention next year. But overall, that's how I see that. Jack, do you have anything to say on maybe the other different teams around here? AC Milan, perhaps? Yeah, well, just one quick thing on Juventus, oh, yeah, sure. because 
uh, you'll notice in their past five or so games, when Ronaldo scores, they win. When Ronaldo doesn't nice. score, they lose or draw. No, they, yeah. It, they, they, you're absolutely right. They over-rely on Cristiano Ronaldo. And he's a fantastic player. He is, but he's getting older. And eventually, they just can't rely on him for everything. Like, he can't, he can't save a team by himself, as much as I'm sure he'd love to say he can. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think he can. But just going over some of these other teams, uh, Roma, which... Honestly, out of the teams in the top six, I think are the least likely to make a run for the title just because, you know, they've kind of, they haven't been super convincing over the past few, uh, the past few weeks. They drew against a 10-man Benevento, which is a a relegation candidate, honestly, like uh, in, in Serie A, and they're they're just not clinical enough, honestly, in a lot of these games. And they don't do well at finishing these games off, which I think is going to hurt them in the long run. I just don't think that they can sustain the form they're on. Mikatarian and Jekko can only do so much. True. Uh, and Jekko is like 39 now, I want to say. Like, he's really, he's really getting up there, and he's likely going to move away from the club soon. And uh, I think they're least likely... Atalanta could, I, I know they are my team, but I think they could string together an impressive run of results. But I think given that they are in the Champions League and uh, depending on how the first leg goes tomorrow or you know, yesterday, uh, if you're listening to this uh, on, on the first day it's out, um, they, they could want, want, they might want to prioritize that. But if it goes all wrong for them, they might end up prioritizing the league and string together a really good run of results. Lazio could do the exact same. They're probably giving up on, uh, up on the Champions yeah, League don't at give this up point. Yet. <laughs> I mean, they they lost four one to home, uh, at home to Bayern. Uh, yeah. That they're, <laughs> they're going they're going to yeah, the, yeah. Uh, to Bayern's home stadium, and I don't think it's going to be great for them. Uh, and then finally, AC Milan because I I saved them for last because I think that everyone thought that they had a really good chance. Of, yeah. of winning Serie A. Like, um, the dominant narrative at the beginning of the year was AC Milan are on a 19-game unbeaten streak. They're going to win. But then, along came Atalanta. And Atalanta crushed them. 3-0. to zero. And ever since then, it just hasn't been the same for them. They've pretty much collapsed since then. They have won two games since then. And they both came against relegation candidates. Mm-hmm. One of them sitting bottom of Serie A. And, you know, they're, they're just not playing good enough right now in order to warrant like anything good happening for their season. I don't think that they have the depth of the squad that Inter Milan has. And Inter Milan has been building for a few years now to yeah. get the depth of the squad they have. So I think Milan are probably a year or two away from, ch- from truly challenging and winning the Serie A title. So are are you saying that Inter Milan is your your current favorites to win the the Serie A? Inter Milan would have to be the the favorites, I think. Okay, and wh- why exactly? If you can give like like two main reasons why Inter has the edge on Milan, because Milan's only four points back. So what what is the big gulf in in title contention right now? Well, I think the big thing 
Uh, well, the first thing is no Europe. They don't have to worry about Europe sure. at all. Um, I, I'm, I'm of the crowd that thinks that sometimes the Europa League is harder than uh, the Champions League in some instances. And for Milan, it's no different. Uh, they're drawing right now. They have a home leg still to, to play this week. Uh, and, you know, they're probably going to win that one. The team they're playing against has a red card. They're missing. They're going to be missing a starter, uh, so they they'll probably win that one. And I I think just that lack of European competition makes Inter Milan okay. really strong. And then second comes down to uh, the the front, and it's you know <laughs> you have Romelu Lukaku and Lautaro Martinez. Yes, you, you really can't get, ask for a much better strike force in Serie A than those two. And they they proved it against AC Milan. They they mm-hmm. tore them to pieces, and I think that they're going to continue to play like that. And you know, Milan are increasingly relying on Zlatan to carry them through these games, and he's good, but he's also thirty nine, and he's he's not always one hundred percent on in these games. And so for that reason, I I just have to go with Inter. Yes, I'm going to have to go with Inter as well. 538 gives him a 72% chance of winning the league, and I can't really argue with that. I think a lot of it has to be with the, the coach gap. We have Antonio mm-hmm. Conte on one side and Stefano Pioli on the other. Like Conte has obviously won a lot. He is the more experienced manager. He's dealing with more experienced, like well-defined players you have lukaku you mentioned i also gonna throw in hakimi and barella like they're they're the cream of the crop like some of the best players in the world right now for my money like la liga is a lot different this year we have some struggling giants real madrid and barcelona and an emergent victor coming up in atletico madrid jack is pretty pretty fond of atletico madrid so i i bet he is happy Jack, what do you make of this current title race mounting in Spain's La Liga? Well, I think that this one is getting increasingly closer. And at the beginning of the season, same with like, uh, you know, a lot of um, same with Serie A. Uh, It looked like Atletico Madrid was going to run away with it again. Or not again, because the last time they won was in 13-14. But um, they it looked like they were going to run away with it. They were 10 points clear with two games in hand. And compare that to today, they have a game in hand, but they're only three points ahead of their rivals, Real Madrid, and they still have to play them as well um, in, in the future. So, And they got destroyed by them. That was their only loss of the season for a while uh, against Real Madrid. And along with Atletico Madrid, we have uh, you know the usual suspects who are challenging for a title, Barcelona and Sevilla. And overall, this... This honestly might be more com- like really competitive because sure. Atletico Madrid's form has been slipping a little bit. Uh, they've been great, and that's mostly due to the acquisition of Luis Suarez. He's the joint top scorer in La Liga. Barcelona probably made a pretty big mistake getting rid of him. I, yeah. I understand they wanted to reduce their wage bill, but come on. He's, he's tearing up the league, and he was last season. He was the only person to score an actual goal in the humiliation against Bayern Munich. The other Barcelona goal was an own goal. So 
I mean, I, I feel like they, they probably should have kept him around, but Atletico Madrid have been doing well because of that, and also finally getting their money's worth off the 113 million uh, euro signing of Joao Felix, who yes. has done really well this season. Last season, he scored like four goals, I think, in total, but this season he has been something else. Uh, on his day, he is he he looks like a Portugal's perfect replacement for Cristiano Ronaldo, honestly. So, uh, you know, it, he that partnership has been really well, but recently they've had a lot of injury concerns. And, uh, you know, they're missing Yannick Carrasco, who is great for the Belgian national team and great for Atletico. They were missing Hector Herrera, who is one of their uh, best, yep. uh, their best midfielders. They're missing uh, all of their right backs in the Champions League game. This uh, just today, they had to play uh, Marcos Llorente, who normally plays as either an attacking midfielder or a striker. Uh, they played him at right back. So that just shows you what's happening right. there. And uh, then they're also missing Jose Jimenez, and uh, which is who's a great center back for them. So they're missing a lot of key players because they're in so many of these competitions and their squad just isn't that deep. But if we're talking about injury concerns, we have to talk about the kings of injury concerns right now, which is Real Madrid. Uh, we, talk, we talked on Monday about uh, Liverpool's injury list, but Real Madrid's is something else. They have, uh, I think it's 11 first-team yep. players in Only total. 11. They have 11 first-team players, so just enough to field a starting 11 uh, available for the Champions League clash against Atalanta on Wednesday. Um, so they're not looking like they have a sustainable run of form either, and a lot of those injuries are long-term injuries too, unfortunately, for them. Because of that, this makes this a really big toss-up in, in terms of title races but uh aj let me throw it over to you if you uh do you, is there anything you uh that i missed talking about the two madrid teams yeah well real madrid in particular i feel like they haven't been necessarily underperforming as a team i think a lot of it has to be injuries very recently and players form just kind of hitting rock bottom over the last year Vinicius Jr., Asensio, Hazard, not all not playing very well. I think Zidane is actually on his way out at the end of the season. You have the injury crisis, but you still have like very good players. Some of them are out. I feel like if you can get some of them back healthy, they could mount a, a title challenge. And if Atletico Madrid can just get enough players back on the field, find that form again then there's really no stopping them uh, i keep on bringing up xg atletico madrid are outperforming the xg by 9.64 to be that overperformance is way more volatile than inter milan's because of the fact that you have uh, you know you have suarez but if suarez can't get a lot of help that xg is going to just fall and Without that, if they can get you know players that can help them out and help that attack, they'll be able to get back on onto the right foot because we all know that they have a pretty stalwart defense with all players healthy. It's only uh, a discussion on if they can get back 
to that previous form. If they can, it's cruise control from there. What do you think about that? I, I, th- I kind of agree with you, but I also wanted to talk about one other team in the La Liga table. And sure. you, it, it's probably not who you thought I would bring up, because you're probably thinking, why don't you talk about Barcelona? And that's because I think Barcelona don't have a chance of coming back from this. I think you're really going to rate Sevilla over Barcelona. I I'm, I'm going to talk am. about Barcelona and you can talk about Sevilla. OK, but I guarantee you Barcelona is going to finish higher than Sevilla. But go ahead. It, go it's, ahead. It's probably likely. But at the same time, I feel like Sevilla are just doing really well. Uh, they're on an unbeaten streak that goes back, I think, six or seven games to, to this point in the league. Uh, you know, they, they got uh, they got beaten at home against Dortmund, but they still have pulled off impressive wins, and they have an impressive forward in Yusef and Nasiri leading the mm-hmm. line for them. Their goalkeeper is pretty good as well, uh, Bono. He's, uh, he's been uh, pretty good, although I, I'm not sure if they're playing with him at this point in time. I think he might be injured. But I also want to talk about an acquisition they made. Okay. And AJ, <laughs> AJ knows exactly who yeah. I talk about. And if if you've been following the show, you probably know who I'm talking about. It's Alejandro Gomez. Let's they acquired go. him from Atalanta, and he, he's been pretty good for them. He hasn't been playing all the time, but it just shows you that they have a pretty solid lineup. And when he's in there, he's been creating quite a few chances. And I think that this team could do really well, and they have a solid backline, too. I'd argue that out of the title contenders right now, they have the best backline available to them because they have Diego Carlos, they have uh, Jose Kunde, Jesus Navas, and uh, they have Kareem Rikik, who are all very good defensively. And uh, Jesus Navas and Jose Kunde especially done great at getting forward, scoring goals. Uh, Kunde is a big threat from set pieces. And I think, I honestly think that they could make a challenge. Now, the question is whether their form is really sustainable. And that's kind of where I think that they might crumble towards the end of the season. Uh, It depends on how deep they go in the Champions League. They're kind of an underdog pick that could make it if they pull together the results. Okay, okay. I could see Sevilla not mounting a challenge. I I think top four in that area of like third or fourth place is their ceiling. I okay. think you now their, their big competitors used to be the likes of Villarreal and Valencia. Now they're competing against Barcelona for the top four because Barcelona is down there in the dumps right now. And I just want to talk about Barcelona real quick because I did way too much research on Barcelona for it to be healthy and it's <laughs> made me angry. So I have to talk about it. Barcelona have been terribly mismanaged. You know, we, we ask, like, why is this league so wide open? Real Madrid, they're, they're failing because, you know, their players aren't playing so well. There's injuries. They're still, in my opinion, a head and shoulder above Barcelona systematically. You know, they, they, they have what it takes to win next season or even this season. Barcelona from from a systematic standpoint are just broken they ha- didn't sell Messi soon enough in my opinion they sold Neymar too soon 
there's a natural progression on their golden generation eventually aging out. You know, you have Messi, Iniesta, PK, Busquets, Xavi, Alves. You have these players getting older, and you, you expect them to get older. You kind of need to replace them. And these players were vital, and you do need to replace them. And who did they replace them with? Well, they bought highbrow players, players that might get the attention of casual fans, like Antoine Griezmann, Coutinho. But they didn't actually add anything relative to their price. You know, we have, we have Antoine Griezmann, Coutinho. Then we have players that just raise question marks. Yeri Mina, Boateng, Paulinho, Braithwaite. Like, what are you doing? And you br- bring in a coach uh, called Ronald Koeman of the Netherlands, who is not a great coach for Barcelona at this time. Their defense has been terrible because they can't replace any of their, their old players. And it's just been off the chains, terrible for Barcelona from not even like a player form perspective, but just on the front office and how they're dealing with everything, how they're how the presidency is going right now, how the board is dealing with acquisitions and coaching hires. It's just a mess from the ground up. I do still think that they have enough quality to beat out Sevilla for third place at least. I don't think at all that they have a chance to beat Atletico Madrid. They, they're at 27% chance. They're actually higher, according to 538, than Real Madrid. 23% Sevilla is at 6%. Atletico Madrid is at 44 I really don't see that happening. But I do think they're at least going to stay in those Champions League places. I think Atletico Madrid is going to stay because I think all they need to do is get back towards that cur- the previous form, get back to where their players were performing, and they'll be fine. Jack, what do you think about this? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to agree. I think Sevilla will, might do enough to get second place. I don't think they're there for a title challenge, but Atletico, I think, are going to win this for one major reason. While, you know, um, Barcelona, Real Madrid, and Atletico Madrid all have injury issues, Atletico Madrid's injuries are mostly short-term. Mm-hmm. as compared to Real Madrid's, who have a lot of long-term injuries. So I think that ultimately, just because of that, it, it, it's going to be Atletico Madrid bringing home their first title in seven years. All right, all right. And with that, let's go on to the most competitive race, I think. From a, maybe a, a subjective standpoint, but when you look at the table, there's a lot of volatility in this top four. We're talking about the French... League, uh, we are in the midst of a title race that's never been closer since 2011, 2010, probably. It, it's insanely close between these top four teams. Uh, just to go over them, we have Lille on top with 58 points, Lyon at 55, PSG with 54, and Monaco with 52 points. All very, very close. They're, they're head and shoulders above the fifth place, I believe, by like 12 points or something. Yep. And the question is, is what are PSG doing wrong and what are the other teams doing well? Jack, tell me about those other teams. What exactly are they doing well that's allowing them to stay close to this top four pack? Well, I think it's different for each of these teams. Like Lille, one of the biggest things that they've been doing well is just their defensive solidity. They have the least goals 
scored against them in the league. They don't score as much, but they keep a lot of clean sheets and they keep a lot of opposition players out. Uh, so most of their victories have been clean sheets. They kept PSG to a draw as well. Yeah. Like they they have been a very impressive team. And of course, they have, um, you know, some conk calf goats up top. They have Timothy Weah and uh, Jonathan David. Uh, yes. You know, they, they've they've done really well with those two. Uh, both of them have been playing exceptionally well, uh, especially as of late. And um, I, I think that ultimately what Lille are doing right is that defensive solidity. It, it's not really anything else. It's just that they've just been really solid at the back. And even though, like, you know, drawing isn't ultimately that glamorous, it produces results and it's better than losing a ton. And because of that, they've been able to increase their goal differential and also just climb up the table at the same time. So I think that's what Leo are doing right. Leon, it comes down to a lot of their attacking talent because they do not keep as many clean sheets at all as mm-hmm. uh, as uh, their their rivals at the top there. But they're scoring a lot, and a lot of that is because of Memphis Depay, who is second yes. in the in the goal charts with fourteen scored. He has been incredible for them, and he's kind of capitalized off of a lot of hype surrounding their deep run in the Champions League last season, uh, and he's just been absolutely incredible since then. Uh, I I think that I I think that they're doing exceptionally well, especially given that you know they last season they finished seventh, mm-hmm. and they didn't even qualify for the Champions League. They didn't qualify for the Europa League. Which is another big thing that they that they've done. They don't have to worry about any European competition this season, and you know they made a deep run last season, which was great for them because it raised the profile of the club. But it made a lot. It, it tired their players out. It made them really tough to play against, and uh, really tough to play. It really it made it tougher for them to play a lot more yeah. because they they had a lot more competitions to worry about. But now they've taken advantage of this. And they've done very well with it, while, the, while everyone else, bar Monaco, has been in some form of European competition. And speaking of that, I want to talk about my favorite team in Ligue 1, which is Monaco. Yes. Uh, they have arguably one of the best goalkeepers Minnesota United have fielded, uh, mm-hmm. Vito Minone, uh, there, who has done pretty well, although the reason they're doing well is definitely not their defense, as they have conceded... 37 goals, which out of the top half of the table is the most. Wow. Uh, so, um, or not the most. Montpellier has the most technically, but they're pretty close. Uh, it's because their attack is so good. That yeah. is what is carrying them. They have two of the, they have the most lethal strike partnership in the league, which is Vissam Ben Yedder and Kevin Volland who have yep. combined for 25 goals this season. And that makes up half of their total. They, they have been absolute beasts with that. They, they remind me a lot of Atalanta. They concede mm. a ton, like, <laughs> a, like a ton of goals. But they score and like a ton. They beat PSG this past weekend, 2-0, to zero, yep. which is one of the few instances they were able to keep a clean sheet in. So that was impressive. Uh, 
They they tied against Lorien. They they battled out a four three win against Nimes, who are not doing great. They're uh, in nineteenth place. So it shows you that they have a lot of defensive problems, but they make up with it uh, with their goals. And their coach Niko Kovac has been pretty pretty good at that kind of style of play. They play a really good counterattacking style that. Uh, you know, half like it seems like half their goals at times are scored from counterattacking play, but they they've really impressed me this season. But uh, those are those are those other teams. Uh, there's a few other players I can mention, but I'll I'll shift it over to to you because I've been talking for quite a bit now. <laughs> no, that's all right. I I enjoy hearing about the other teams in France, considering that PSG gets all the airtime. But now I'm gonna give PSG some some airtime, unfortunately. But it's a lot of negative airtime, so I think people who who call Liga a Farmers League are going to enjoy this. <laughs> Those teams are doing a really good job keeping pace with PSG. In fact, exceeding them in two of the cases. So the question is, like, why, why is it so close? Why is P- PSG doing so poorly relatively to where they're usually at? And it's pretty clear that PSG are in turmoil. They've lost five Liga games this season, which is actually the worst in a season since 2011. It's been 10 years. They've actually lost six now because of the loss to Monaco. Oh, wow. Well, take that PSG, I suppose. You are doing doing even, even worse. And a lot of this is because they can't play well against intense teams that can beat their midfield. A midfield that is, like Juventus's, relatively weak given where they should be once you get teams that aren't a low block team you know they can beat low block teams which are the usually the relegation fodder the bottom half of liga once you get to other teams in the top four who are willing to take the fight to you really to really able to play really intense in the midfield they just fall apart evidenced by the fact that they've only gotten one point out of a possible I believe 12 at this point, it might be even, even a higher possibility from Monaco, Lyon, and Lille. And that's, that's really saying something, given where they, they have been in the past. They rely on Verratti way too much in the midfield. He's like one of the only stars that is keeping up pace in this season. That front three is pretty good. Very, very good, some might say. You have <laughs> what might be the best young player in the world you have a player in Neymar who can play very very well when he needs to you have one of the most underrated goalkeepers in the back you do have some injuries plaguing them but it all really comes down to that midfield those players not playing well and just the way that they're setting up against intense teams and how quickly they're falling apart until they can really stop the bleeding in that case, they're, they're not going to win this title. But Jack, now that we talked about some of these teams, who do you think is going to win this? Because we have a very close race. We have PSG, according to 538, with a 44% chance. So they're still betting on them finding form with their you know huge, huge budget, finding form and winning the title. Then they have Lila at 29%, Lyon at 22%, and Monaco, unfortunately, at 5%. Those top three are 
relatively close, especially with the other races going on around Europe. Who do you think is going to win this title? Well, I just wanted to quick uh, follow up on the PSG thing, because I think you missed another major element of why they're not doing as well. And it's their transfers over the summer. They let they released or let leave two of their best players for the past decade, nearly Edinson Cavani. They they canceled his contract. They they canceled it. He is their top goal scorer of all time, if I if I'm remembering correctly. And they also let Tiago Silva leave on a free Tiago Silva is an absolute defensive unit and his leadership abilities and the lack of those in the team has really hurt PSG mm-hmm. and their ability to organize a defense. They've conceded a lot of sloppy goals because of it. Kaylor Navas is good, but he can only save them so much at times. And I think those transfers have really hurt them. But uh, as far as title titles go, it's, it's really tough because you know, I could see PSG finding form, although I think that they're go that right now, uh, and this was something that in a pre-match interview for the Champions League game that Chelsea was playing, both Thomas Tuchel and Thiago Silva commented on, where the expectation for PSG isn't as much the league on title. It's the Champions League. That is what right. matters to QSI, the Qatar Sports okay. Investment Group. And I think that because of their position in that, they're, they're, they're looking at this as, from a cost-benefit perspective. They're not getting as much benefit from winning League on. They win it so much that it's basically worthless to them at this point. And the Champions League is just a prize that's eluded them for a decade since QSI has taken over. And mm-hmm. I think because of that, they're going to focus on that. And therefore, I'm not sure if they're going to be as big of a player in the League on title race. But who I think is going to win is going to be Lille, ultimately. I think Lille is going to be the team that wins this. And there's a few reasons for this. First, uh, I really rate Timothy Weah and uh, Jonathan David. I I rate them both. Uh, And I also think that their defense is solid, and they have who I would say, as as a French national team fan, the future of the French national team defense on their books, which is Mike Mignon. He is an incredible goalkeeper. He pulls off great saves for them. And he's been a great, he's been, he's just been a great player for them overall. Like, he doesn't make mistakes too often. He uh, claims crosses. He was actually um, one of uh, Chelsea's first choice to this summer over Edouard Mendy. Uh, But Lille wouldn't sell him. And it was a good thing, too, because he's a big part of why they've been able to keep so many clean sheets in this competition uh, in League On. And ultimately... I think that defensive solidity is going to do them well, and it's going to bring them their first league on title in at least a while. I'm, I don't remember exactly when they last won it, but it's been a long time since they've won one. Yes. I do think that Lille is much more complete than all the other teams, including PSG currently. I talked about a lot of XG this evening. They're outperforming their XG by 11 goals, so they're even more clinical when they have to. Might not attack and score goals that much, but when they do, it's very, very clinical. They just, I think they have what it takes to 
really take it to PSG. But if I was a betting man, I would have to bet for PSG. And that's why I think PSG are going to win. If they can fix their performance against top six or so clubs, they're going to win. They they can do it against uh, the fodder of the Liga. They can they can do it relatively well against the mid table clubs. It's all a question on if they can bring that same intensity towards the top half opponents. I think they can. I know that they're focusing on the Champions League, but they've just they've been here before. They've done it. If Lille slip up, if Lyon slip up, then you know that PSG are going to be at least more consistent going forward. They're going to be sharks in the water waiting for their opponents who it's been a while since they've been there to slip up. And that's why I'm going to go with PSG. Might be a a sleeper pick for some fans, but I don't know. There's it's just happened before. I, I can't get my hopes up. Well, let's just before we end this episode, you know, let's sure. just quick recap this. Like go through who we think is going to be, you know, in these title races. What do you think your order is going to be? So let's just quick quick go. League on, what's your order for how it's going to finish? Don't have to give uh, any explanation. Yeah, sure. I'm going to go with PSG, Lille, Lyon, then Monaco. I'm going to go you? I'm going to go pretty similar. Uh Lille, PSG, Lyon, Monaco. So we just okay. have those top two flipped around. Uh, and then La Liga, what, what are you going with? I'm going with Atletico Madrid, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Sevilla. Okay. I'm, going, I'm going a quite a bit different. I'm going Atletico, okay. Barcelona, Sevilla, Real Madrid. Okay. Wow, you really aren't rating Real. Okay. The injuries, man. That's what it is. And then Serie A for the top. We'll, we'll just do top four for this. What, what do you think? Okay, I believe it's going to be Inter Milan, AC Milan, Juventus, and Atalanta in the top four. All right, I'm I'm going pretty similar. I'm going, but I'm going to go Inter, Juventus, Milan, and then Atalanta. All right, so we both rate Atalanta. Yeah, getting into the top four. Uh, I think they'll do it. I think they'll do it. They're one point behind it. I feel like the Rome teams are aren't going. I haven't watched a lot of Lazio or Roma, but I just, I just, in my, in my heart and soul, they just don't have what it takes. No, not this year. Probably not. I'd say. All right. Well, we'll look back at this in about three months and be like, I can't believe we couldn't see Valencia coming all the way back to win the La Liga title. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, wow. They made up 27 points. Incredible, incredible season. The yeah. End of <laughs> yeah. It turns out like Atletico Madrid, got caught for doping or something it's got yeah. completely it, canceled yeah so i don't know no but we hopefully will be able to review this later on see where we messed up but that is all for today's episode uh as always we ran a little bit long but given how how much there is on this episode how much we covered with these title races i can't really complain what do you think, Jack? What do you have to say to the audience? Well, a uh, few things. As always, make sure to follow our Twitter uh, yes. at Final Third Show. Uh, we've been posting a lot recently. We AJ posted a great meme the other day about uh, how the U.S. men's national team reacts to our players at times. Uh, and also, a big announcement. Some of you yeah. might have seen this. We have an Instagram now. 
So make sure to check that out. Uh, the uh, account is Final Third Show. Same thing as what we have for the Twitter. So you can go on there. We're posting a lot more. Uh, you know, vi- we're hoping to post more video content and yep. actual like, you know, uh, AV content. That's probably not the right word to use here, but the right word is slipping my mind. The right word is slipping. Yeah, it's 1982. The right word is slipping my mind here, but uh, digital sure. content. It's not even everything's digital. Whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh my gosh, Pictures, dude. videos. You are that, 45. I am oh 45. My God. It's true. Uh, but, you know, that, that's, uh, that's where we're going to, going to be posting more and more as well as on Twitter. So make sure to follow both of those accounts. Yes. And as always, as always, don't forget to follow us wherever you listen to us from, whether that's Spotify, Apple Podcasts. If it is Apple Podcasts, Give us a read rating. We are still at five stars. Let's keep that streak going. Turn on notifications if you can. I know you can do that on Spotify. It's pretty nice. You can keep track of all the podcasts that you listen to, including ours. And don't forget to tell a friend about the podcast. Uh, why don't you send this to your Barcelona fan that you have as a friend and, and you know, link them to my rant. Link them, link them to this entire podcast. Don't forget to tell your dad as well. I'm sure he'd want to hear this. And we'll see you guys next week for the Monday's News and Predictions show, as well as same time, same place for the Thursday Deep Dive. Goodbye. See ya.